Hey all, and welcome to ChapterWise, where I take public domain or other authorized use works of fiction and narrate them for you one chapter at a time. If you like what you hear, please follow my channel. If you love what you hear, please consider supporting my channel. I try to upload new chapters three or four times a week. The Memoirs of Fanny Hill by John Cleland Originally published in 1749 Thus, making the most of love and life, did we stay in this lodging in Chelsea about ten days, in which time Charles took care to give his excursions from home a favorable gloss, and to keep his footing with his fond indulgent grandmother, from whom he drew constant and sufficient supplies for the charge I was to him, and which was very trifling, in comparison with his former less regular course of pleasure. Charles removed me then to a private ready-furnished lodging in D Street, St. James, where he paid half a guinea a week for two rooms and a closet on the second floor, which he had been some time looking out for and was more convenient for the frequency of his visits than where he had at first placed me in a house, which I cannot say but I left with regret, as it was infinitely endeared to me by the first possession of my Charles, and the circumstance of losing there that jewel which can never be twice lost. That landlord, however, had no reason to complain of anything, but of a procedure in Charles too liberal not to make him regret the loss of us. Arrived at our new lodging, I remember I thought them extremely fine, though ordinary enough, even at that price. But had it been a dungeon that Charles had brought me to, his presence would have made a little Versailles. The landlady, Mrs. Jones, waited on us to our apartment and with great volubility of tongue explained to us all its conveniences, that her own maid should wait on us, that the best of quality had lodged at her house, that her first floor was let to a foreign secretary of an embassy and his lady that I looked like a very good-natured lady. At the word lady I blushed out of flattered vanity. This was strong for a girl of my condition, for though Charles had the precaution of dressing me in a less tawdry, flaunting style than were the clothes I escaped to him in, and of passing me for his wife, that she had secretly married and kept private, the old story, on account of his friends. I dare swear this appeared extremely apocryphal to a woman who knew the town so well as she did, but that was the least of her concern. It was impossible to be less scruple-ridden than she was, and the advantage of letting her rooms being her sole object, the truth itself would have far from scandalized her or broke her bargain. A sketch of her picture and personal history will dispose you to account for the part she is to act in my concern. She was about forty-six years old, tall, meager, red-haired, with one of those trivial, ordinary faces you meet with everywhere and go about unheeded and unmentioned. In her youth, she had been kept by a gentleman, who, dying, left her forty pounds a year during her life in consideration of a daughter he had by her, which daughter, at the age of seventeen, she sold, for not a very considerable sum neither, to a gentleman who was going on envoy abroad and took his purchase with him, where he used her with the utmost tenderness and, it is thought, was secretly married to her, 
but had constantly made a point of her not keeping up the least correspondence with a mother base enough to make a market of her own flesh and blood. However, as she had not nature nor indeed any passion but that of money, this gave her no further uneasiness then, as she thereby lost a handle of squeezing presents, or other after-advantages out of the bargain, indifferent then, by nature of constitution, to every other pleasure but that of increasing the lump by any means whatever, she commenced a kind of private procuress for which she was not amiss fitted by her grave, decent appearance and sometimes did a job in the matchmaking way. In short, there was nothing that appeared to her under the shape of gain that she would not have undertaken. She knew most of the ways of the town, having not only herself been upon, but kept up constant intelligences in promoting a harmony between the two sexes, in private pawnbroking, and other profitable secrets. She rented the house she lived in and made the most of it, by letting it out in lodgings. Though she was worth at least near three or four thousand pounds, she would not allow herself even the necessaries of life, and pinned her subsistence entirely on what she could squeeze out of her lodgers. When she saw such a young pair come under her roof, her immediate notions, doubtless, were how she should make the most money of us, by every means that money might be made, and which, she rightly judged, our situations and inexperience would soon beget her occasions of. In this hopeful sanctuary and under the clutches of this harpy did we pitch our residence. It will not be might material to you, or very pleasant to me, to enter into a detail of all the petty cutthroat ways and means with which he used to fleece us, all which Charles indolently chose to bear with, rather than take the trouble of removing, the difference of expense being scarce attended to by a young gentleman who had no ideas of stint, or even economy, and a raw country girl who knew nothing of the matter. Here, however— under the wings of my sovereignly beloved did the most delicious hours of my life flow on. My Charles I had, and in him, everything my fond heart could wish or desire. He carried me to plays, operas, masquerades, and every diversion of the town, all which pleased me indeed, but pleased me infinitely the more for his being with me, and explaining everything to me and enjoying, perhaps, the natural impressions of surprise and admiration which such sights at the first never fail to excite in a country girl new to the delights of them. But to me, they sensibly proved the power and dominion of the sole passion of my heart over me, a passion in which soul and body were concentred, and left me no room for any other relish of life but love. As to the men I saw at those places, or at any other— they suffered so much in the comparison my eyes made of them with my all-perfect Adonis, that I had not the infidelity even of one wandering thought to reproach myself with upon his account. He was the universe to me, and all that was not him was nothing to me. My love, in fine, was so excessive that is arrived at annihilating every suggestion or kindling spark of jealousy for one idea only, tending that way, gave me such exquisite torment that my self-love and dread of worse than death made me forever renounce and defy it. 
nor had I indeed occasion, for were I to enter here on the recital of several instances wherein Charles sacrificed to me women of much greater importance than I dare hint, which, considering his form, was no such wonder, I might indeed give you full proof of his unshaken constancy to me. But would not you accuse me of warming up against a feast which my vanity ought long ago to have been satisfied with? In our cessations from active pleasure, Charles framed himself one in instructing me as far as his own lights reached, in a great many points of life, that I was, in consequence of my no education, perfectly ignorant of. Nor did I suffer one word to fall in vain from the mouth of my lovely teacher. I hung on every syllable he uttered, and received as oracles all he said whilst kisses were all the interruption I could not refuse myself the pleasure of admitting, from lips that breathed more than Arabian sweetness, I was in a little time enabled by the progress I had made to prove the deep regard I had paid to all that he had said to me, repeating it to him almost word for word, and to show that I was not entirely the parrot, but that I reflected upon, that I entered into it, I joined my own comments and asked him questions of explanation. My country accent and the rusticity of my gait, manners, and deportment began now sensibly to wear off. So quick was my observation and so efficacious my desire of growing every day worthier of his heart. As to money, though, he brought me constantly all he received. It was with difficulty he even got me to give it room in my bureau— and what clothes I had he could prevail on me to accept of on no other foot than that of pleasing him by the greater neatness in my dress, beyond which I had no ambition. I could have made a pleasure of the greatest toil, and worked my fingers to the bone with the joy to have supported him. Guess, then, if I could harbor any idea of being burdensome to him. And this disinterested turn in me was so unaffected, so much the dictate of my heart— that Charles could not but feel it, and if he did not love me as much as I did him, which was the constant and only matter of sweet contention between us, he managed so at least, as to give me the satisfaction of believing it impossible for man to be more tender, more true, more faithful than he was. Our landlady, Mrs. Jones, came frequently up to my apartment, from whence I never stirred on any pretext without Charles, nor was it long before she wormed out, without much art, the secret of our having cheated the church of a ceremony, and, in course of the terms we lived together upon, a circumstance which far from displeased her, considering the designs she had upon me, and which, alas, she will have too soon, room to carry into execution. But in the meantime, her own experience of life let her see that any attempt, however indirect or disguised, to divert or break, at least presently, so strong a cement of hearts as ours was, could only end in losing two lodgers, of whom she had made very competent advantages, if either of us came to smoke her commission, for a commission she had from one of her customers either to debauch or get me away from my keeper at any rate. But the barbarity of my fate soon saved her the task of disuniting us. I had now been eleven months with this life of my life, which had passed in one continued rapid stream of delight, but nothing so violent was ever made to last. I was about three months gone with a child by him, 
a circumstance, would have added to his tenderness, had he ever left me room to believe it could receive an addition, when the mortal, the unexpected blow of separation fell upon us. I shall gallop post over the particulars which I shudder yet to think of, and cannot, to this instant, reconcile myself how or by what means I could outlive it. Two live-long days had I lingered through without hearing from him, I who breathed, who existed but in him, and had never yet seen twenty-four hours pass without seeing or hearing from him. The third day my impatience was so strong, my alarms had been so severe, that I perfectly sickened with them, and being unable to support the shock longer, I sunk upon the bed, and ringing for Mrs. Jones, who had far from comforted me under my anxieties, she came up, and I had scarce breath and spirit enough to find words to beg of her, if she would save my life, to fall upon some means of finding out instantly what was become of its only prop and comfort. She pitied me in a way that rather sharpened my affection than suspended it, and went out upon this commission for she had but to go to Charles's house, who lived but an easy distance in one of the streets that run into Convent Garden. There she went into a public house, and from thence sent for a maid-servant whose name I had given her as the properest to inform her. The maid readily came, and as readily, when Mrs. Jones inquired of her what had become of Mr. Charles, or whether he was gone out of town, acquainted her with the disposal of her master's son, which, the very day after, was no secret to the servants. Such sure measures had he taken, for the most cruel punishment of his child for having much more interest with his grandmother than he had, though he made use of a pretense plausible enough to get rid of him in this secret, abrupt manner for fear her fondness should have interposed a bar to his leaving England and proceeding on a voyage he had concerted for him, which pretext was that it was indispensably necessary to secure a considerable inheritance that devolved to him by the death of a rich merchant, his own brother, at one of the factories in the South Seas, of which he had lately received advice together with a copy of the will. In consequence of which resolution to send away his son, he had, unknown to him, made the necessary preparations for fitting him out, struck a bargain with the captain of a ship, whose punctual execution of his orders he had secured, by his interest with his principal owners and patron, and, in short, concerted his measures so secretly and effectually that whilst the son thought he was going down to the river that would take him a few hours, he was stopped on board of a ship, debarred from writing, and more strictly watched than a state criminal. Thus was the idol of my soul torn from me, and forced on a long voyage without taking leave of one friend, or receiving one line of comfort, except a dry explanation and instructions from his father how to proceed when he should arrive at his destined port, enclosing withal some letters of recommendation to a factor there. All these particulars I did not learn minutely till some time after. The maid at the same time added that she was sure this usage of her sweet young master would be the death of his grandmama, as indeed it proved true, for the old lady on hearing it did not survive the news a whole month, and as her fortune consisted in an annuity, out of which she had laid up no reserves, she left nothing worth mentioning to her so fatally envied darling. 
but absolutely refused to see his father before she died. When Mrs. Jones returned and I observed her looks, they seemed so unconcerned and even nearest to pleased that I half flattered myself she was going to set my tortured heart at ease by bringing me good news. But this indeed was a cruel delusion of hope. The barbarian, with all the coolness imaginable, stabs me to the heart in telling me succinctly that he was sent away at least on a four years' voyage, here she stretched maliciously, and that I could not expect in reason ever to see him again. And all this with such pregnant circumstances that I could not escape giving them credit as they were indeed too true. She had hardly finished her report before I fainted away, and after several successive fits, all the while wild and senseless, I miscarried of the dear pledge of my Charles's love. But the wretched never die when it is fittest they should die, and women are hard-lived. To a proverb. The cruel and interested care taken to recover me saved an odious life which, instead of the happiness and joys it had overflowed in, all of a sudden presented no view before me of anything but the depth of misery, horror, and the sharpest affliction. Thus I lay six weeks in the struggles of youth and constitution against the friendly efforts of death, which I constantly invoked to my relief and deliverance, but which proved too weak for my wish. I recovered at length, but into a state of stupefaction and despair that threatened me with the loss of my senses and a madhouse. Time, however, that great comforter in ordinary, began to assuage the violence of my suffering and to numb my feeling of them. My health returned to me, though I still retained an air of grief, dejection, and languor, which, taking off from the ruddiness of my country complexion, rendered it rather more delicate and affecting. The landlady had all this while officiously provided and seen that I wanted for nothing, and as soon as she saw me retrieved into a condition of answering her purpose, one day, after we had dined together, she congratulated me on my recovery, the merit of which she took entirely to herself, and all this by way of introduction to a most terrible and scurvy epilogue. "'You are now,' says she, Miss Fanny, tolerably well, and you are very welcome to stay in these lodgings as long as you please. You see, I have asked you for nothing this long time, but truly I have a call to make up a sum of money which must be answered. And with that, presents me with a bill of arrears for rent, diet, apothecaries, charges, nurse, etc., some total twenty-three pounds, seventeen and sixpence towards discharging of which I had not in the world, which she well knew, more than seven guineas, left by chance of my dear Charles's common stock with me. At the same time she desired me to tell her what course I would take for payment. I burst out into a flood of tears and told her my condition, that I would sell what few clothes I had and that, for the rest, would pay her as soon as possible. But my distress being favorable to her view— only stiffened her the more. She told me very coolly that she was indeed sorry for my misfortunes, but that she must do herself justice, though it would go to the very heart of her to send such a tender young creature to prison. At the word prison, 
every drop of my blood chilled, and my fright acted so strongly upon me that turning as pale and faint as a criminal at the first sight of his place of execution, I was on the point of swooning. My landlady, who wanted only to terrify me to a certain point and not to throw me into a state of body inconsistent with her designs upon it, began to soothe me again and told me in a tone composed to more pity and gentleness that it would be my own fault if she was forced to proceed to such extremities. But she believed there was a friend to be found in the world who would make up matters to both our satisfactions and that she would bring him to tea with us that very afternoon when she hoped we would come to a right understanding in our affairs. To all this, not a word of answer. I sat mute, confounded, terrified. Mrs. Jones, however, judging rightly that it was time to strike while the impressions were so strong upon me, left me to myself and to all the terrors of an imagination wounded to death by the idea of going to prison and from a principle of self-preservation, snatching at every glimpse of redemption from it. In this situation I sat near half an hour, swallowed up in grief and despair, when my landlady came in, and observing a death-like dejection in my countenance, still in pursuance of her plan, put on a false pity and bidding me of good heart. Things, she said, would be but my own friend. And closed with telling me, she had brought a very honorable gentleman to drink tea with me, who would give me the best advice how to get rid of all my troubles. Upon which, without waiting for a reply, she goes out and returns with this very honorable gentleman, whose very honorable procuress she had been on this, as well as other occasions. The gentleman, on his entering the room, made me a very civil bow, which I had scarce strength or presence of mind enough to return a curtsy to. When the landlady, taking upon her to do all the honors of the first interview, for I had never, that I remember, seen the gentleman before, sets a chair for him, another for herself. All this while well, not a word on either side. A stupid stare was all the face I could put on this strange visit. The tea was made and the landlady, unwilling, I suppose, to lose any time, observing my silence and shyness before this entire stranger. Come, Miss Fanny, says she in a coarse, familiar style and tone of authority. Hold up your head, child, and do not let sorrow spoil that pretty face of yours. What, sorrows are only for a time. Come, be free. Here is a worthy gentleman who has heard of your misfortunes and is willing to serve you. You must be better acquainted with him. Do not you now stand upon your punctilios and this and that, but make your market while you may. At this so delicate and eloquent harangue, the gentleman, who saw I looked frightened and amazed and indeed incapable of answering, took her up for breaking things in so abrupt a manner, as rather to shock than incline me to an acceptance of the good he intended me. Then, addressing himself to me, told me he was perfectly acquainted with my whole story and every circumstance of my distress, which he owned was a cruel plunge for one of my youth and beauty to fall into, that he had long taken a liking to my person, for which he appealed to Mrs. Jones, there present. But finding me so deeply engaged to another, he had lost all hopes of succeeding, till he had heard the sudden reverse of fortune that had happened to me on which he had given particular orders to my landlady to see that I should want for nothing, 
and that, had he not been forced abroad to the hag, on affairs he could not refuse himself to, he would himself have attended me during my sickness. That on his return, which was the day before, he had on learning my recovery desired my landlady's good offices to introduce him to me, and was as angry, at least as I was shocked, at the manner in which she had conducted herself towards obtaining him that happiness. But that to show me how much he disdained her procedure, and how far he was from taking any ungenerous advantage of my situation, and from exacting any security for my gratitude, he would before my face that instant discharge my debt entirely to my landlady, and give me her receipt in full. After which I should be at liberty either to reject or grant his suit, as he was much above putting any force upon my inclinations. Whilst he was exposing his sentiments to me, I ventured just to look up to him, and observed his figure, which was that of a very well-looking gentleman, well-made, of about forty, dressed in a suit of plain clothes, with a large diamond ring on one of his fingers, the luster of which played in my eyes as he waved his hand in talking, and raised my notions of his importance. In short, he might pass for what is commonly called a comely black man, with an air of distinction natural to his birth and condition. To all his speeches, however, I answer only in tears that flower plentifully to my relief, and choking up my voice, excused me from speaking very luckily, for I should not have known what to say. The sight, however, moved him, as he afterwards told me irresistibly, and by way of giving me some reason to be less powerfully afflicted, he drew out his purse and calling for pen and ink which the landlady was prepared for, paid her every farthing of her demand, independent of a liberal gratification which was to follow, unknown to me, and taking a receipt in full, very tenderly forced me to secure it, by guiding my hand which he had thrust it into, so as to make me passively put it into my pocket. Still I continued in a state of stupidity or melancholic despair, as my spirits could not yet recover from the violent shocks that they had received, and the accommodating landlady had actually left the room and me alone with this strange gentleman, before I had observed it, and then I observed it without alarm, for I was now lifeless and indifferent to everything. The gentleman, however, no novice in affairs of this sort, drew near me, and under the pretense of comforting me, first with his handkerchief dried my tears as they ran down my cheeks. Presently he ventured to kiss me, on my part neither resistance nor compliance. I sat stock still, and now looking on myself as bought by the payment that had been transacted before me. I did not care what became of my wretched body and wanting life, spirits, or courage to oppose the least struggle, even that of the modesty of my sex, I suffered tamely whatever the gentleman pleased, who, proceeding insensibly from freedom to freedom, insinuating his hand between my handkerchief and bosom, which he handled at discretion, finding thus no repulse and that everything favored, beyond expectation, the completion of his desires, he took me in his arms and bore me without life or motion to the bed, on which laying me gently down, and having me at what advantage he pleased, I did not so much as know what he was about, till recovering from a trance of lifeless insensibility, I found him buried in me, whilst I lay passive and innocent of the least sensations of pleasure, 
a death-cold corpse could scarce have less life or sense in it. As soon as he had thus pacified a passion which had too little respected the condition I was in, he got off, and after recomposing the disorder of my clothes, employed himself with the utmost tenderness to calm the transports of remorse and madness at myself with which I was seized, too late, I confess, for having suffered on that bed the embraces of an utter stranger. I tore my hair, wrung my hands, and beat my breast like a madwoman. But when my new master, for in that light I then viewed him, applied himself to appease me as my whole rage was leveled at myself— no part of which I thought myself permitted to aim at him. I begged of him with more submission than anger to leave me alone, that I might at least enjoy my affliction in quiet. This he positively refused, for fear, as he pretended, I should do myself a mischief. Violent passions seldom last long, and those of women least of any. A dead still calm succeeded this storm, which ended in a profuse shower of tears. Had anyone, but a few instants before, told me that I should have ever known any man but Charles, I would have spit in his face, or had I been offered infinitely a greater sum of money than that I saw paid for me, I had spurned the proposal in cold blood. But our virtues and our vices depend too much on our circumstances. Unexpectedly beset as I was, betrayed by a mind weakened by a long, severe affliction, and stunned with the terrors of a goal, my defeat will appear the more excusable, since I certainly was not present at or a party in any sense to it. However, as the first enjoyment is decisive, and he was now over the bar, I thought I had no longer a right to refuse the caresses of one that had got that advantage over me no matter how obtained. Conforming myself then to this maxim, I considered myself as so much in his power that I endured his kisses and embraces without affecting struggles or anger. Not that he, as yet, gave me any pleasure, or prevailed over the aversion of my soul to give myself up to any sensation of that sort. What I suffered, I suffered out of a kind of gratitude, and as a matter of course what had passed. He was, however, so regardful as not to attempt the renewal of those extremities which had thrown me just before into such violent agitations, but now secure of possession contented himself with bringing me to temper by degrees, and waiting at the hand of time for those fruits of generosity and courtship which he so often reproached himself with having gathered much too green, when, yielding to the inability to resist him and overborne by desires, he had wreaked his passions on a mere lifeless, spiritless body, dead to all purpose of joy, since, taking none, it ought to be supposed incapable of giving any. This is, however, certain. My heart never thoroughly forgave him the manner in which I had fallen to him, although, in point of interest, I had fallen to him. I had reason to be pleased that he found in my person wherewithal to keep him from leaving me as easily as he had had me. That's it for today's chapter, everyone. Thanks for coming along on the ride. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please consider supporting my channel. And as always, whatever platform you're listening on, just know that I deeply appreciate the time you spend with me here. Please don't forget to like and subscribe. 
See you next time.